This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. joining me again on today and welcome to those of you who are joining us for the first time. Today we have another talking shop segment with you from another one of what I consider to be one of the most active and I'll call her a heavy hitter in, in, in the UX world. I just love Stephanie Walter and I'll probably pronounce it. We pronounce it Stephanie over here. I'm going to let her introduce herself and she'll let you know because I see the I see the accent over the E. I'm going to say Stephanie but I don't know. I'm probably wrong. So I'm going to leave that alone. We'll let, we'll let her clean it up for you. But I am so happy uh, to have, uh, I'm still going to say Stephanie for now until I get corrected, uh, <laughs> which is probably coming. Uh, but I'll have Stephanie Walter here with me today to spend time sharing with the UX community. Uh, we're going to talk about different topics, some of the same questions that we always ask, but we always go off the beaten path, and that is all fine and dandy. I know she she does a lot more than just UX. I have a vehicle. Some other people have a lot of fantastic things to say, and I think it's critical to the UX community that people hear the voices that are out there. There are a lot of people out there that, have a lot, that, that are saying a lot that don't have a lot to say, Let's get the people out here that do have something worth hearing. And and she is, my guest today, is one of them. So, uh, Stephanie, let's start with an introduction. Tell the people who you are and, as Debbie Levitt might say, why we want to listen to you. <laughs> so, hi. Thanks for having me. What an amazing introduction. Yay. Uh, so, you can say, I think American people say Stephanie. Uh, I'm French, hence the accent is uh, Stephanie Valter which is uh, quite boring. So I'm okay with Stephanie because it's kind of more dynamic, you know, and uh, it's a German name. So it's uh, pronounced Walter, like a V, not a W, but uh, wow. yeah. Wow. French people say Walter anyway, and uh, German people say Stephanie Walter, Walter. So yeah, I'm fine with anything that's this close to Stephanie or Stephanie or Steph, Steph. I had a colleague who called me Steffi. Oh, <laughs> that <yeah>. was cute. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, introduction. So, hi, I'm a UX researcher and I'm currently specialized in enterprise UX. So, uh, really boring stuff with a lot of data tables. I love them, <laughs> which might sound weird, but honestly, I'm having a lot of fun. Like, the more complex the data, the, the happier I am. And, uh, yeah, I'm also a little bit um, specialized in mobile design because of my background. Mm-hmm. We may talk about that, that later. Um, yeah, so I'm French. I'm living and working in Luxembourg, which is a, a fun country because we have French, German, Luxembourgish as, as official languages. A lot of people here speak English as well. So it's quite a nice mix. And uh, yeah, sometimes I'm completely lost in translation because the German words come and then the French one and the English one, but it's really, really pleasant and uh, <laughs> super country to ride a bike. So yeah, 
most of the time when I, I don't work, I'm like riding a bike or playing video games and I'm sadly better uh. at <laughs> keeping my video game pals alive than my plants. So that's my, I think yeah, you, you've got the mic. So you see some of those are still alive in the background here, but I can, <laughs> I can assure you, like a friend of mine offered me this pin. It says a uh, well-meaning plant killer. And I think that's totally me, like meaning well, but for some reason I can't keep this alive. So, so yeah, that's me. <laughs> okay, great. Maybe that's great. why I'm actually drop drop them, but they can't die. I don't so know. We just put a plant. We keep trying to grow a plant on our porch, and it just mm. never. One day the wind blew. We've been getting so much rain this year, but the, it just blew the plant off the porch. So, okay, well, that was the first one. So let's try again. Uh, <laughs> we got another, Crap. and it just didn't no. work. So we're learning. We're, we're going to get there. I, I have yeah. a philodendron. Same I'm, here. Because that philodendron, you can't kill a, a philodendron. Uh, so pretty much. Watch so I've got me. A, <laughs> <laughs> Watch me. <laughs> I'm sure I can. I I've been, been keeping, that you. I've been keeping no. those since I was a kid, so I I'm, I'm guess I'm pretty good at it, at it now for that particular <laughs> one. But tell us, I, I love the, the the UX research component, and I think I think some of the people we had on last time were UX researchers, and and uh, so UX researchers are going to look at UX through a different lens, and I think it's important for people to know and understand that uh, just across the board, depending upon what part of UX a person is engaged with, mm-hmm. you're going to get different viewpoints. Because everybody is really revolving around that world in which they live, so so I, I know we're going to hear some some different things, and I think I want to make sure we point that out for people to have their antennas up to catch those. But tell us, how did you get into UX, Stephanie? <laughs> so yeah, I, I was a, so I have a master degree in it's called Kaweb. It's in France, and it's a mix between um, languages and uh, web design. Whoa, so it's a little really? bit weird because we ask, it's after a foreign languages bachelor degree, and it's actually the languages part is about localization. So it's I think it started the master degree as localization of software, but then they expanded it to web because huh. web became a thing. So you have to speak to the two languages plus your mother languages to enter in it. So German, English, plus French for me. And um, yeah, I did this master's degree and we had a lot of super amazing courses. I was taught um, copyright law, which is, I think, something really amazing yes. to teach to future designers. Yes. And uh, a lot of things, small courses, but just like the basics. So that was nice. And we had a course that was called ergonomy. I think you would translate it in usability because I think ergonomics in English is more like chair ergonomics and stuff like that. So I yeah, think usability like, would be like... like yeah. Yeah, ergonomics is more physical. how things fit. Yeah, mm. from the physical perspective. Yeah, right, so right. it was usability, more like applied to web design. Uh, and I discovered user testing in this course and a user interview. And uh, then I got uh, my first job. So it was a six-month internship, and they kept me after that for two years. Nice. Apparently, I was doing a great <laughs> job. And I discovered their mobile design and iOS 3. And this is when I was starting to dig into more and more about resources about mobile usability pattern and the word UX design became like um, I started seeing it a lot 
because I wasn't taught like he wasn't called UX design in France 10 years right. ago. Right. <laughs> it was yeah. ergonomy, basically. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, actually, this is something I've been doing. Like I was taught to use the research. So yeah, I started digging and digging and basically like learning a lot of my own on the topic, which is kind of really, really fun. <laughs> so books, workshops, podcasts, and um, also attending a lot of conferences and um, mm. yeah learning a lot <laughs> it, it's funny you, funny you should say that you reminded me of uh i went back and looked at um uh an interview that someone had with uh, i believe it was ux salon interviewed alan cooper and i thought it was funny how you mentioned that it wasn't called ux there for until about 10 mm. years ago and for us don norman of course we all know the story don norman was the first person to have ux in his title and that happened in like 94 mm. 95 it didn't become mainstream in the States until sometime between 2007 and 2010. Alan Cooper said, yeah. it's a junk word anyway. <laughs> <laughs> he referred to UX as yeah. a junk word, which I, I, I can agree with because it, <laughs> I mean, the acronym, it causes a bunch of confusion. People don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. People confuse it with UI. Uh, I just told yeah. somebody this morning that graduated from a program uh, where they said they were now certified UX UI designer. I said, congrats on pressing through in general for what you did because it takes some dedication to do anything. Uh, however, mm-hmm. what you're celebrating doesn't exist. So if they educated you in UX UI, gave you a certificate that said, literally says UX UI on it, that means that they educated you on something that you're going to have to turn around now, the challenges to unlearn it. And it takes more to mm-hmm. unlearn something sometimes than it does to actually learn something. So it is just funny. A junk word, he called it. A junk <laughs> word. And, and we sometimes. We used to call that web design at some point as well. Yes. Like yes. Web designers were doing usability <laughs> testing. Yes. And even webmasters. So it's like just. Oh, God. I don't remember the last time I heard webmaster. That, that, that's a blast from the past. I've seen it in a job uh, description in France not, uh, not that, uh, that long ago. But wow. yeah, it was French. So <laughs> <laughs> webmaster. I, yeah. I like it. It's like, yeah, I'm the master of the web. Uh, we used to love being called webmasters, but we were doing mm-hmm. everything. And funny story I'll interject here. I interviewed yeah. for, for a research job once and when i had a follow-up call with the with the recruiter she said yeah she said they, they really like you we're definitely going to move you to the next phase and they like you they're just a little concerned they think that your experience is more academic and i said why would they think that nah. you know I, i've been doing this stuff since 95 why, why would they think that well they said because your titles are designer and architect <laughs> and i said specialist titles didn't start then they didn't become a thing until about 2012, 2013. So, Mm. but we did all of, we did all the things when we were designers and architects. And that, that told me something about who I was about to interview with though. So, so we got ready for that. And, and yeah, it didn't, it didn't (laughs) pan out as I, as I thought. Uh, But (laughs) from that point, you, you sort of kind of touched on the next question about developing your, how you develop your acumen and, and yeah. your levels of experience. I'm going to build on that. I'm going to throw you a curveball. <laughs> what was what would you say in the midst of building your acumen and your experience? I know a lot of people are talking about how do I build? How how do I get better? Mm. How do I get sharper? 
What did you, what do you think was like a, a ma- maybe a major a major turning point, a great learning experience that you had as you began to grow in UX? Uh, it was actually when I decided to uh, go to work for the University of Luxembourg. So I worked in Germany, then went back to France. I was working for an agency for four years. And I always said, if I'm going to leave the agency, I wanna, I'm, I'm going to leave France, <laughs> which is a little bit radical. But you have to remember, I got from a background of um, languages, and this is Europe, and I've, all, I've worked in Germany. Well, so I was just to move and um, I had two offers, one in Amsterdam and one for the um, University of Luxembourg. And uh, as a career move, I thought that working for the HCI department in University of Luxembourg was going to be a a nice idea. And yeah, it turned out it was an amazing idea because uh, I learned so much um, about myself first, (laughs) but also like about academic research, like real heavy academic research. So it was really, really cool. We were um, a a team of uh, five at some point. So it was nice to have a team. We had uh, every two weeks this uh, whole afternoon where anyone could bring a topic to the UX forum and we would work on that. And we had a lot of exchange. I was able to work on, uh, how did they call that? So the university created a new um, library, a super big one, and they tasked us with doing some research for the students to understand how might we build a better learning experience. And we touched actually service design, but also like um, wow. space design. That's awesome. So we ended up like, yeah, we ended up using UX methods, like a lot of stuff that you use usually in UX design to apply this to how might we build collaborative learning space is for, um, for student, except that the prototype is not a wireframe prototype, is <laughs> right. actually building the room with some of the stuff in the room and see how students interact with that. So that was really, really interesting experience. And uh, yeah, it was great because uh, and up until then, I was mostly working as a solo designer of, with another designer, so pair of two, but working in a team and uh, understanding a little bit more about the academic side of UX design was really, really interesting. And um, yeah, I got even more interested into psychology at that time. So I ended up taking some psychology courses uh, from another French university as a MOOC, I think it's called, like online something, something. Yes. So yeah, to basically complete a little bit more my... Yeah, massive open online courses. Yeah. Because I don't have a proper psychology background, so I sometimes feel like a a little bit of a fraud, but uh, because I I just read books (laughs) and learned by books, blog, and now this um, a few months of psychology. So, but yeah, this is something I would definitely recommend people looking into. It's useful for so many like ways because you have to work with human beings, but also if you end up in corporate corporate environment, mm-hmm. having a background in psychology helps you understand a lot of the stuff that is going on, like silos and politics and why do you use the behave that way? Why do people kind of react that way? Like we had an example where, um, so we are basically redesigning a whole interface. Mm-hmm. The tool is 10 years old and we are, um, 
having a really user-centric approach, we have different user group. And we started with one really, really small user group. I think those were 10 people. And we built a kind of a prototype page just for them. And we were talking about having them migrate to the new tool. And uh, my boss, they wanted to uh, decommission, but the page, not the old tool. They wanted to decommission one page in the old tool. And everything was going great with this user until we put a date for the decommission. I don't remember when was the date. And all of a sudden, everything was horrible. Like, yeah, we can't use it. We, there's so many issues. And you saw that um, we had a really horrible meeting with the business analyst who was also doing the demos. With, you were like, like basically the people who one day said, yeah, everything is fine. And we saw actually them using the tool because we have uh, analytics and such. All of a sudden, everything become really, really complicated and they, they can't migrate, you know, we, we, we can't migrate. You can't decommission the, the page. And uh, <laughs> yeah, once you understand basic psychology, you say, yeah, this is called reactance. We are uh, kind of removing something from them and they're not happy just because we are removing right. something from them. And right. we have a date for that, which is even worse. <laughs> so we ended up going into one-on-one session first to avoid this group effect like bandwagon when someone says something. I was in a right. chain mail where no one was saying something until one guy said, yeah, but actually I don't like that. And then everyone was like, plus one, plus what was it? Ah! <laughs> yeah. And again, once you've done like basic psychology, you understand pretty quickly what's going on here. So it was really, really interesting to see how we managed to do that. And today they are kind of the most happy user we have again, nice. <laughs> because we were <laughs> able to avoid this to backfire. But uh, yeah, lesson learned. Decommissioning something and giving it a date, even if it's just like one single page, might be a little bit complicated. So we are going like step by step, really slowly now. But, but yeah, having a background in psychology or at least a few basic principles will help you really understand this kind of situation and not completely just like cry behind your screen because you don't know what's happening or something. <laughs> oh, yeah. What that is. I love those users. <laughs> that's another fantastic story. And, and it really speaks to... um. Michelle Ronson, who was a guest on the show recently, was on LinkedIn just this morning talking about people trying to shortcut their way through UX. Mm -hmm. And what you said just made me think about it. If people can be patient with themselves, patient about the path that they take, then you can carefully plot out things like that. That, that I want to learn more about psychology. Yeah. Psycho learning more about psychology is going to help me be a better UX professional, no matter what part, whether you're a generalist or whether you're a specialist, it's going to help you. And and, and I wish people would, would do more of that. And I'm going to interject here too, to, to the listeners <laughs> out there. If you want to learn about psychology, good. Please make sure you learn about psychology. Don't try to shortcut that. You're not just going to pick up a book off the shelf, in some cases you can learn some things, but there are people that are writing books about UX psychology, or I should say psychology and UX, that are not psychologists. And so what ends up happening is you end up getting misinformation that's packaged in a pretty, uh, in, in a pretty parcel, if you will, but it's really misleading. Uh, one of the best UX psychology books out there is a book called Designing with the Mind in Mind. And I love the book because it talks about the psychological factor, the different psychological principles, and then it walks you through 
how you apply it to the work that you do. So you end up walking away. Are you, are you, do you have more of a surface knowledge at that time? Basically, when you first get introduced to anything, your knowledge is surface based, but it provides you the ability to apply it an easy way to make it practical in what you're doing in your work. And then the more you do it, then you begin to proceed beyond the, that surface level of knowledge and you begin to build acumen. You begin Mm. to build some uh, in-depth understanding of what's going on uh, instead of just somebody just throwing a topic at you and then walking away and dropping the microphone. It doesn't work that way. So be patient (laughs) as you grow because in being in UX is a commitment to lifelong learning. And so when you get on board, you don't get off. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I liked actually uh, in the course I took is uh, they explained to you a proper uh, psychological, uh, a proper study in psychology. And uh, I think we had an exercise where we had to, uh, do something silly about carrots and how it makes people uh, more polite. And you would have to say, how would you te- create a psychological test to, to, to do that, things like that. And I think it was interesting because it shows you like how biased you can uh, really quickly yes. uh, make a test. And there's a great book, which is called uh, ah, something science, bad science, where the guy is debunking a lot of stuff. So it's, he starts slowly with debunking the um, detox bath where you put your feet into a bath and all of a sudden you see the bath <laughs> becomes brown. It means, yeah, it's detoxification. Like, no, it's because the bath is alkaline and there's a little <laughs> bit of salt on your feet because of the sweat, basically. So it's debunking, it's debunking that. And I love how he's like, look, a five-year-old could debunk that. And at some point he's debunking something. So it's written by a British guy. And I think, I think a lot of people in um, in England hate him. And he's talking about a nutritionist who's selling this um, photosynthesis. Um, so the, the plants, they use the energy of the sun to create something green. I don't remember the name. And she's selling the spill, saying, saying if it's good for the planet, it will be good for you. So he says, yeah, but look, the plants need the sun to do that. At some point, if you put this green stuff in your stomach and your stomach is getting raised from the sun, you might have a bigger issue. So he's just losing like basic, really, really silly logic. It's like, okay, it works for the plant, but in order for the plant to work, you need the sun. So in your stomach, do you have sun rays? No. So this can't work. And I love how he's, but so it's really, it's called bad science. And it's amazing because even if you don't have a, a background in science, it's really like taking things in a really, really logical order to, to explain to you, like all the creams that are supposed to make your skin younger, those stuff, the, the oil pill they gave some students um, in the, in the again, in the UK to make the grades better. Uh, it's those oil pills that everyone is going omega C, something like that. And he's explaining, I don't remember the effect, but basically when you observe someone and you you tell that person that they are going to be better, there's this effect where they're actually going to be better just because they are observed, so psychological effect. So I really love how he's debunking that. And I think this is what, we need more of that in 
uh, many, many, many things, but also in the UX field, which is like critical thinking. And it doesn't have to be complicated. It's just like, sometimes you just have to put all the steps of the stuff. And then you're like, wait a minute, <laughs> something is weird in this step. And it's like, oh, actually this, maybe this is why, like sun in the stomach, mm-hmm. <laughs> probably not <laughs> happening. <laughs> so yeah, bad science. Highly I, recommend it. I need to look. That book <laughs> sounds interesting. I need to. I need mm. to look that up. That it, it just reminds me too of how people will, when, when research is being conducted. Um, one of the things I always talk to people about is that we need to manage bias, and not just in in research, but mm. just doing UX work in general. We are the bias police. If, if we're if bias finds its way into the work that we're doing then the data then becomes skewed. And if the data, we thought it was going to be actionable, but now bias has been introduced, that data is no longer valid, that we've got issues. And and, uh, that's a concept I've brought up and people just deer in the headlights looking at me. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you can't do that. (laughs) We got to make sure that we present things, don't ask leading questions Mm -hmm. and and, uh, make sure that you don't. uh, I actually talked to somebody recently uh, and I, I can't give the details on this one I would really give it away but if the, the person was talking <laughs> about research and that they were doing research and they said yeah I uh and we just went in and we asked them which design they like best and I went what good roller dice <laughs> it, remi- it reminds me of <laughs> of these people on LinkedIn do you like which one do you like a or b and then claiming that that's mm. research that's not research and 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 it just it, it's an interesting thing to me uh with the, the <laughs> massive influx of people coming into ux but not really wanting to do ux the right way they want the ux status that, yeah <laughs> i had a mentee and i'm i'm sorry for her because i think i shattered a whole word and she she said, yeah, I don't remember what she was doing. She, she was doing something else. And she said, yeah, I'm good with people. So I think I would be a great UX designer. So I explained <laughs> to her. So no, I had two people. The first one, when I explained user research, she said, yeah, I don't want to do that. So he's like, what do you actually want to do? Ah, I want to design websites. It's like, yeah, so you want to be a UI designer. And then she went on, yeah, but maybe I should start with development and maybe do a few years of developer beco- before becoming a UI designer. It's like, you do you, but if you want to do UI, maybe you can also start with UI. So it was a really weird conversation that started as, I want to become a UX designer Yeah. to discover that actually UX designer don't do that. And then I had another lady who also was super interested into UX design, but yeah, she, she thought that basically we spend our day talking to users and it's like, yeah, that's like 20% of the job. If we're lucky, I think yes. like 80% is planifications, politics, recruitment, preparation, scheduling, finding the users and then there's like uh, reporting analysis and again more politics and stuff like that so i think that's one of the the big issue is the people yeah this kind of skewed um vision that Mm -hmm. we are going to spend our days doing fun stuff with people in a room with post-it notes like yeah that's (laughs) a workshop but it's like one hour of workshop is gonna take Three hours of planning, uh, three weeks, even more of planning. And after that, 
You'll have three more weeks of other of not analysis and fun work Yes. It's like <laughs> one of the stuff I did at the university, I, I'm not complaining because it's part of the job, but we did this experimentation where we asked the students to draw their own um, collaborative learning space. So we created those cute little cards. We printed some stickers like you had plants, uh, water, and then we had more technological stuff like um, HoloLens, computer stuff. So they could like either draw stuff or just use the stickers and to kind of show us a little bit how they they as a student would imagine that. We put 500 um, of those little uh, envelopes uh, to students. I think we got 25% of those back, which is a lot actually for yeah. such an experiment. Yeah. And then you have to basically, whenever they come back, I open the envelope and I just like open my Excel sheet. And for each and one of those, I'm encoding the data. So yay, chairs, one point, another one for, so I had this super big uh, Excel sheet with everything we, we put on the stickers plus other stuff they would add in. And yeah, I spent a lot of time just like opening things, counting how many people wanted yep. chairs in the room in an Excel sheet and it's, it's boring. Honestly, it's not the most fun, the most fun stuff, but uh, it's part of the job, you know? So I think there's kind of this fantasy of, yeah, we're having fun all the time with post-it notes. Yep. I was like, yeah, sometimes, that <laughs> but is that's really, really not the whole job. Right. Right. That is perfect. And I actually just finished mm-hmm. a series on the podcast to where I was talking about what I call the nuances of UX research. And it was really meant for anybody who caught the underlying message. If you want to get into UX research, here's another 10 to 20 different things you might want to consider. (laughs) And and you just made me think about one that I didn't talk about and it's coding uh, specifically Mm -hmm. in this connection with qualitative research that after you do all this qualitative research, you have to go back and identify the themes from all the research. It took you X number of days to do the research. And now it's going to take you X number of weeks to comb through all of the data. If you don't like going through data, the analysis and the synthesis, you might not like UX research. (laughs) Someone asked me once, well, what, Darren, what is, what is one of the biggest tools? What's one of the most important tools that a UX person (laughs) uses? And I went, well, prototyping software. I I didn't know. I knew he was looking for something. And his question was, Mm was tainted. So I knew that he was looking, he was fishing for something. He was waiting for me to give a particular response. And I knew that the response he was looking for was, was inappropriate. He was waiting for me to say, post-it notes and whiteboards. That's what he was waiting for me to say as a first gen UXer, as I like to call myself or first gen experience designer, we never used post-it notes and whiteboards didn't become a thing until at least 2010, there were no post-it <laughs> notes. I worked for the for large digital design agencies. I worked for Wonderman Digital. I worked for for Digitas, and that was when we started seeing the whiteboards. About that time, I worked for MRM McCann. We never wrote on whiteboards, and we were doing work for Ford, <laughs> GM, Scotts, Warrior, uh, the the athletic company, CompuWare, CompuServe. We uh, Jiffy Lube. We were doing work for all of these companies, and we never used a whiteboard one time. And and, <laughs> and, and so I did, I knew that's what he was looking for. But I'm like, dude, no, that's not the thing. 
the sticky notes are not the thing. And I, I can't, I type so much and I type really fast too. Stephanie, I, I still mm. type a hundred okay. words a minute. I, I used to be a secretary. Uh, and so I used to, I used to be a legal transcriptionist. I can really type fast. And so when I do write, my hands cramp up because I, I type so much. So the last thing uh, I want to do is write on a sticky note or, or a wall. No one can read me. Same. <laughs> But honestly, if you ask me, like the biggest tool I use those days is uh, Excel. We use Excel for a lot of stuff. We have priority maxers in Excel. We have user feedback in Excel. I have uh, yep. quantitative data in Excel with how many people use this page and things like that. So I think I could use, um, what's the fancy one? Airtable. Airtable, yeah. Stack. But I work for a bank and no cloud tools allowed. Yep. <laughs> so yep. officially. Yep, changes everything. I know some people <laughs> some people use some stuff, but uh, officially no cloud tools allowed. So Excel sheet it is and PowerPoint. Yep. Like I'm doing user flow in PowerPoint. <laughs> <laughs> it works. You can as long as uh, yeah. when you move yeah. one box, the arrow is still on the box, I'm fine. Huh? That's all I need. <laughs> That's it's it's amazing. The assumptions that are made about UX mm-hmm. are sta- I love the word you use, fantasy. It, it's and then people base their decisions on their fantasies associated with, with UX. So I wonder where it comes from. Like, if you're not at all in the industry and you decide to become a UX designer, at some point you might have heard of the job. So, this is I, I'm, I need to ask people, like, how did you hear about my, my job? Because I, I'm super curious, but uh. I don't know if it's like, at, I know in France, for instance, they're trying to promote a lot of jobs in IT because at the moment IT is recruiting. So maybe if they went to a job agency, I don't think job agency understand what UX design is, they don't. but they might have heard <laughs> the word or something like that. So, yeah. so really, I really don't know how people, so I'm glad that a lot of people who are not in the industry today are interested in doing that, but I just hope I'm not kind of depressing them by, I'm sorry, I'm not going to lie to you. If you, I'm <laughs> yes. telling you like my job is that, uh, that and that. And uh, if you don't want to do that, I don't think you, you should pursue a career in that. Yep. So, yep. because it costs a lot of money to change careers. So if at some point you, you see that uh, after one year in your job, you, you hate everything about UX except <laughs> talking to the user. Maybe in a in a super big company, you might be able to do that. You might have a team who will take care of everything that is scheduling and all the annoying part. I think we call it research ops now, like uh, the meeting and all of that. So you will be able, I think, to focus on uh, preparing the research plan, asking the question. But even then, I don't think you'll have a team of people who will encode the data and things like that. So you have quantitative data. You still need to do a lot of stuff with Excel sheets or mirror board post-its or whatever tool you want to use. But uh, so at some point, if you don't like playing with data, even if it's uh, a little bit, uh, it's scary also. Like I learned how to pivot an Excel table and I was so happy about that. It's like, like biggest achievement ever. I think there's a lot of stuff I need to learn um, in Excel that uh, would make my life easier, like counting and things like that. But yeah, working with data, like quantitative data is super scary because you need to understand math and uh, statistics and things like that. So I understand why people don't want to do that, but still. Yeah, that's that's very sobering. And and, uh, I don't apologize for making people feel bad 
about telling the truth. I almost walked away from you mm-hmm. in 2007, 2008, because I, I got frustrated with the, the constant pushback and what I at the time considered to be unjustifiable challenging. And I'm going, wait a minute, we did so like much what? work. We did so much research. This is, this is what heuristics are, are telling us should be done. I don't get it. Why is it that you don't? And, and, and uh, I actually mm-hmm. left the company. I've been telling this story a little bit more, more recently than before. Um, I left the company for a very brief time. They said, if you want to come back, please come back. We welcome you back. I took them up on that. But before I went back, I talked to my boss. We met at a coffee shop here where I am in, in, in the metro Detroit area in Michigan. And he said, he gave me two words that changed my life. And those word, word, words were healthy friction. Ooh. And to, <laughs> to, to think about the fact that all friction is not bad was, was a, it was mind blowing. It was an epiphany for me and it, it helped me to see the challenges that we faced as UX professionals in a completely different light mm. and, and I came back and I've been back ever since and, and, and it was because <laughs> of that conversation that changed everything for me and, and that's what people aren't they're coming into UX and they're not expecting that they're expecting to be embraced they're expecting to be loved they're expecting to be valued <laughs> they're expecting yeah. to be understood and half the at least half the time we're none of those things. Most of the time, half the time we're not welcome. We're not understood. Uh, we're the only people in the room that other people are trying to do their job. Nobody's trying to do the project manager's job. Nobody's trying to do the QA person's job. Nobody's trying to do the developer's job. The U, uh, but the UX person, we're the only person whose job is democratized. <laughs> and 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 so these yeah. are challenges, and and you have to be ready. If you're going to do UX, you have to be ready. And I got to throw this one in there. We're the one, the only person in the room whose job is misunderstood to the extent that people just want to like wipe it out and they want, or they want other people to do it, or they think that you can up and just do it easily and quickly. And and, and thinking about something you said, which I thought was absolutely fantastic. How are people, people say they want to do our work. Why is it? What did they hear about our work? that makes them want to do it. And, and to a great extent, it's about the misinformation that's out there that people keep putting mm. these, which which one do you like, A or B? I actually had a leader <laughs> come to me once and do the same thing, and I froze. I'm going, no, you didn't just ask me that. He learned it looking at stuff on LinkedIn. He brought it, he thought it was a legitimate question, and he brought it to me. And I froze because I couldn't believe he he presented something to me like that. It's not about that. It depends. What's the context? What are we trying to do? It's not about picking between a red yeah. button and a, a blue button. This isn't the matrix. It isn't about the red pill or the or the blue pill. It's about it's about how the pill is going <laughs> to be depends. used. Yeah, it but always depends. I have this a lot uh, with developers, especially, uh, which I get it because I work mostly in um, dev driven super heavy enterprise environments and in Luxembourg there's not a lot of designers in those environments most of the time people don't care about designers like yeah oh. it's a technical product it's a business product they don't have any choice it can be ugly the issue is that <laughs> yeah it can be ugly but it also it has to be usable and so i every 
place where I go, I end up with developer ask me to teach them some basic design skills so that when they are alone with yeah. the clients, yeah. uh, they can know where to put the button. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm sorry, I love you, but I cannot teach you where to put the button because it depends. <laughs> so either we do t- three years of training <laughs> so that I can yep. help you actually become a designer. Or maybe what can I what I can do actually is how to teach you how to sell a designer to your boss so that at some point they might actually get a designer in the in the room with you, which might make things uh, a little bit easier. So I love developers because they always come to me with this kind of question. I'm like, yep. yeah, but it depends. So I know that you wanna do it's <laughs> I think it comes from a good place, you know. Yeah. They like I'm a developer. I want to do something nice for the user, but we don't have any designers. So I'm going to ask if I can uh, find quick wins. I was like, yeah, but there's information architecture. So things like that. Yeah. So yeah, we could, but <laughs> this is not possible in like, I can give you a quick tip that says, yeah, the button has to be always here and it will work all the time. So, and the other fun thing, or maybe challenging thing, especially in Luxembourg is, um, I never worked with business analysts until arriving in Luxembourg. And I got so frustrated at some point that I asked my manager if I had to put business analysts on my job description to talk to the users. Because here, the job of business analysts most of the time is they go to talk to the user, the business, they ask questions. It's usually a technical question and they come with requirements. And most often those requirements are wireframes. So they do this kind of wireframe where they open balsamic and they create a Japanese bento box with all the contents, zero information architecture, but everything fits on one screen. And then they sell that to the client and the client signs on that deliverable. And then they come to to the design team. I was part of in (laughs) another company. It's like, yeah. It's like, oh, no, we already talked to the user. You don't need to do that. And, oh, so we have the wireframe. So you just have to do the design. And it's like, yeah, but you understand that this is kind of a Tetris. Um, if we were playing Tetris, this would be awesome. Like you put all the boxes. There's not a single white pixel on the screen. Amazing. If I give that to a user, first you use a 10 pixel font. Um, we're going to use something bigger than that. This is never going to fit into a screen. People will have to scroll eventually. And also, like, this is a bento box. No one can understand the information architecture. So at the beginning, I used to go get really, really mad. That's why I asked my manager, like, maybe not in the nicest way. But uh, when she said no, but they already talked to the user. It's like, yeah, but if in order to talk to the user, I need to put business analysts' job description, by all means, (laughs) change my name. I'm fine with that. Uh, now it gets a little bit better. So I've worked with an amazing business analyst and actually he became a UX designer. Ah, okay. <laughs> which is re- really, really cool. But yeah, we went together to talk to the user. And yeah, the question he was asking were more business related uh, while I was more asking questions to understand pain points and things like that. Uh, it's really, really funny because I've got this anecdote where I was with a business analyst in a meeting and um, the lady explained that she needs an export to Excel button. And the business analyst starting uh, started asking questions like, okay, what columns do you need to export? And I, I was like, can I ask one small question, please? <laughs> like, okay, you're sharing your screen. Please show me how you do what you need to do today Bingo. because you don't have 
and I explored to Excel button. So yep. she went, she like uh, selected everything and she copied paste it to Excel. And I was like, okay, cool. What do you do now? And she showed me, she basically, what she wanted to do is have a filter because there's a list of operations. Some of those are active and some of those are not active anymore. So she was just using an Excel filters to remove everything that's not active anymore to get a list of clean operation with only the active ones. So I was like, crap, if I had let that business analyst alone, we would have a shitty export to Excel button. <laughs> this lady didn't need an export to Excel button. She expressed this this way because it's how she was doing it today. In the end, in the interface, what we have is we created uh, the tables and we have filters and sorting at the top of the tables because you can do that in a browser today. You don't need to export to Excel. And we went back to her and she's super happy with the solution because it actually makes her yeah. gain a lot of time. She doesn't need to export to Excel. She just needs a way to remove not... Um, not active operations. And this is always what I explain to people when I, they try to explain the difference between business analysts, at least where I work versus a UX designer, is they are going to take technical requirements and they have a super deep understanding of the business. Like, I don't have such an understanding, so I'm going to ask a lot of questions to the business analyst because I need to understand the business as well. But by the end of the day, we when we say we ask questions to people we're clearly not asking the same kind of questions right exactly yeah so, I, I cringe every time i hear somebody say well i talked to the users we need a t-shirt <laughs> you know that, that doesn't mean anything if, if person a talked to the users and got x amount of data or x type of data person b person c person d we all approach it differently like the person i was talking about earlier yeah i asked the users which design they liked Really? That doesn't that doesn't mean anything. Which one is the most usable? Which one is the most intuitive? Which one has the least amount of cognitive load or no cognitive load? Which one had better cognitive load uh, than the others? A lot of people aren't, they're not examining these things, which explains why, and I always refer back to this, Vitamin T, a recruiter here in the States, uh, did some research once, and I believe it was published the results were published in uh, 2017, if I remember correctly. And their results, their research showed that 97% of user experiences that people are experiencing today had flawed UX. 97%. And I, yeah, from what I've seen, yeah. And I remember back in 2002, 2003, Jacob Nielsen created a book that changed my life also called Homepage Usability. And he took 50 home pages for popular corporations and he performed a heuristic analysis just on the home page and ripped them all to shreds <laughs> ripped them all yeah. to shreds and so it, it, it's the same thing the same thing is still happening and now people are doing things because a, a lot of developers i refer to them as closet designers love you need you <laughs> i know you're important but a lot of them are closet designers i even had one once i tell this story sometime where a person came into a meeting knowing that I was responsible for the UX and came into a meeting and he'd have that little thing. He just wanted to design something and he came in and he brought in mock-ups that were done in, wait for it, Microsoft paint. Wow. <laughs> I didn't even know Microsoft paint still existed. He did designs and painted. He was proud of it. And I just, are you kidding me? On top of the fact that 
you're just supposed to be doing the the coding and I welcome any ideas, but you have an yeah, idea, bring thing. it, fine. And, and we'll evaluate it and we'll look to see how it fits with what we're trying, the design problems we're trying to address and solve for. But come on, man, you, you, you know we're doing the work and you just went and did something in paint, of all things, paint, and then brought it back. And I heard that recently <laughs> that, that not too long after, I left that company not too long after that because of that type of assault that we were constantly being subjected to and uh, found out that all of the developers got access to Adobe HD, uh, uh, XD. So you know what's happening now. And, and, and it's just, it's the it's like herding yeah. cats. It's the wild, wild west. Uh, mm-hmm. In the same company, some developers were doing some design. The the PM said, you know what? Let's bring in Darren into our initiative just to get some UX input. I came in. Show me what you're doing. It's okay. They walked me through everything. I did a heuristic. I, I said, let me get back to you. I understand everything you're doing now. I, may, I took a bunch of notes. Let I understand your requirements. Let me get back to you within two, three days. Let's meet again and let's talk. And I have some things I want to show you. We got back together. I did a heuristic analysis on this mobile app that they were doing for a an internal company. Always had all these events and such, and they had to have an app to manage everything. Mm. Here's the here's what you were proposing. Here's my heuristic analysis based on what you were proposing. Here's my, and every time I do a heuristic analysis, I list out findings, recommendations, and benefits. Mm. Three categories. Yeah. Here we go. Here's the findings. Here are the recommendations. Here are the benefits. And I added something extra. This is what it would look like if you, if you embraced my recommendations. And this is how the user experience would change. This is how the flow would be changed. Mm. They were floored. They loved it. They loved what I did. And they said, you know what? We're not going to design anything else. Can we have you work on all of our projects? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And one but you know, that, that happens a lot, I think. Uh, <laughs> my politic is, you know what? If I have to spend a first meeting justifying every single pixel on the mock-up and then a second meeting justifying half of the yes. pixel, in a few meetings, you will start trusting me. So it's annoying because every time you go to a new company, a new job, you have to justify at the beginning. And I think that's also something the beginners that might not be aware of is uh, it's annoying. <laughs> but I think yeah. if you show them that they can trust you on that, no, like this is not here because I fancy this is here because there's like 30 other versions and sometimes I keep those on purpose on a sketch because I always have someone like, have you tried this? Like, yes, look, this and this doesn't work because <laughs> yes. that, that and that and that. Oh yeah, you're right. Just, yeah, thank you. <laughs> yep. So um, I know it's annoying that you have to justify everything and you have to prove yourself, but if it has to, to come to that, then they trust you. And I think I am a... No, my developers trust me enough that if I say something might not work for the user, most of the time they're like, yeah, actually you're right. Or, but also I welcome feedback. Like I, I have a really good relationship with the developers and I also come to them really early in the process. Um, we wanted to do something with uh, where user can reorder some stuff on the page. And I kind of imagine that drag and drop might be completely out of the question because for me, drag and drop is su- something super complicated to develop. 
So I just like drew a quick mockup and I said, I'm imagining something where we can have numbers and then based on the number, it will change. And my developer was like, yeah, but why don't we do drag and drops? Like, can we do that? <laughs> because if we can, and if you are actually the one offering the drag and drop and you're telling me technically it's possible, I'm going to redesign this whole thing with drag and drop <laughs> because I would love to have it. I just, I kind of assumed that it was, it was going to be super complicated. So sometimes I have these like nice surprises where technical stuff that I thought were going to be complicated are easy. And then I have the other way around, which is, what do you mean it's super hard to remove the bolt from that line in the in the <laughs> form? It's like, why? It's bold. No, no, I know why. Uh, it's a kind of a table. Yeah, they have a recursive styles and stuff. And the stuff I want breaks the pattern. So this is why I can't remove the bolt easily. But we're discussing about, yeah, maybe if we don't have that flexibility, we need to change the patterns or find another way to develop that. Because guys, in the future, I will come up with a lot more tables, with a lot more annoying stuff that are going to break your buttons. <laughs> so let, let's discuss about breaking them right now. <laughs> so that's, you are prepared. I'm going to break a lot of things. Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's the fun thing. Yeah. I'm saying guys because I only work with guys. <laughs> I wish I had a lady <laughs> in the team, but yeah. Me. Fun perks of working in IT department sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it's funny how those things flip. See, this will definitely take us down a different path. I'd talk about this uh, at other times. Uh, we call them the isms, uh, you know, race, <laughs> racism, sexism, cronyism, ageism. Mm. Uh, because as a, as a male uh, in UX, I actually suffer a lot of discrimination at the hands of females who are, no. yeah. So it's, it's like, as soon as people get in that position of power, uh, it, it's just weird. You find an excuse. It's just weird. Yeah, so I catch it from the sexism side. I catch it from the from the ageism side. I catch it from the racism side. I catch it from the cronyism side. It, 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 it's amazing stuff. And and yeah. Uh, yeah, I've seen some. I've seen some things. I won't. I won't mention it now. But I've seen some <laughs> things and some stuff. And, and it's just interesting how things work. And it's just it's the world. It's the world we live mm-hmm. in. I, I, you, are you here to work? Do you love UX? Are you here to do the work? <laughs> then welcome. I don't, I don't care who you are. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's my mindset. I couldn't care less who somebody is. Let's get the work done. Let's get some wins for our users. Let's get wins for the business. And we go from there. That, that's, that's my focus, but yeah, you know, but it, it's never going to shake out that way. <laughs> I, I've learned that. <laughs> I've learned that also. We're entering the lightning round arena. Because we're, we're having, I, I am having a ball. We're having a ball. This could continue, but we're gonna we're gonna uh, get into lightning round, and I'm gonna fire off some questions, and we can hit these, and then we're gonna we're gonna wrap up here. Biggest decision you ever made as a as a UXer, or best decision you ever made as a UXer? Um, I think working for the HA department <laughs> because I learned a lot. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Awesome. Biggest regret as a UXer? Uh, I think a project I did a few years ago where I was working for three years in the industry and uh, I was too shy and uh, too young to open my mouth. And basically what happened is that uh, we were working, we were supposed to do a website and the design and development of the website. And there was a companion app and um, 
the companion app it was iPad app, and then um, we didn't do iOS development, so the client asked the uh, dev team uh, external one. And during the meeting, I was actually smart enough to ask, okay, but who's, who's going to do the design of the iPad app? And the dev company said, we are going to outsource that. I was like, yeah, but it makes no sense. Let us do the design of the iPad apps, which, since we are going to do the design of the, um, the website. They said, yeah, okay, sure. But do the design <laughs> did mean two completely things. It's like for us, we were we were kind of expecting doing wireframes and the whole cycle. But now, like after two weeks, the iPad dev came back. It's like, yeah, we have a prototype now. You can test it and you can do the design. It's like, what do you mean? Do the design, the prototype <laughs> design. It's like, okay. <laughs> we are going to offer some kind of uh, suggestion. We went through a heuristic review of the stuff. It was crap, not usable at all. Yeah. Like. The flow was supposed to be a wizard flow. You have to do that, 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 and that. And then what they did is like they use tab. Tab one, you have to do that. Tab two, you have to find the package created in tab one to do something else. And then tab three, you have to find the package created. Like, it makes no sense. So we said, no, this is not going to work. And say, yeah, but budget, blah, blah, blah. Just make it pretty. So we made it pretty. We want the client. We said, guy, this is never going to work. So he said, ah, I'm going to test it with user tests. Air quote. So he showed it to users and he came back mortified. Said, yeah, you were right. No one understands it. Can we do something? Like, okay, I negotiated <laughs> one day, like one day to redo the whole flow, do some quick wireframes, completely like Garia, one complete day, two designers. And um, we did that. We went back to the client. He indeed he loved the new flow. We started scheduling user interview, but then he got a call with the investors. They said, yeah, but if we do redo the flow and all of that is going to cost money and we have to redevelop the thing. So I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, project completely <laughs> botched wow. at some point, of course. But yeah, I kind of regret not um, being more maybe assertive um, in this room and yeah. say, what do you mean by do the design and do something properly? But yeah. I was younger, I was under the water, so I had a lot of projects at the agency, so not that much time to really follow that one through. But yeah, it could have been an awesome project. I don't know. <laughs> That's why it's called regrets, because you, right. you never know what it could have been. Yeah. Uh, at least we got the lesson learned. Got the lesson learned down. <laughs> oh, okay. yeah. If you have the ability to go back in time and tell Stephanie one thing about UX and it could be anything, what would that golden piece of advice be? Uh, take an interest in psychology earlier, especially cognitive psychology, mm. because it's really interesting and it could save you <laughs> a lot of time in many situations. Yes, yes, yes. That's a good one. I actually regret uh, getting my PhD in educational leadership. And I regret, oh, yeah. I regret not going to, I talked to somebody about a psychology, a psychology program and PhD and I regret today. I'm almost done. I'm about to enter my dissertation and now I'm having regrets. So Yay. I had to think about it for a few minutes. Like, okay, let's go forward. <laughs> but yeah, I wish I wish I had done it that way instead. And then last one, what advice do you have for up and comers in the discipline? Ooh. <laughs> It's hard. Jobs are a mess. <laughs> so get a mentor to help you navigate it. And yeah, try to be maybe critical about the things you see, the things you read, just because it's a, a blog as UX 
in the title doesn't mean it's a good blog. I'm not going <laughs> to give names, but you can DM me if you want names. Um, yeah, so yeah, be critical about uh, research and uh, double check the reference. Don't trust one single source of truth, even if it comes from me, Darren or Debbie, or always double check things. And yes. It depends. So just because something works today for the user doesn't mean it will work the same in 10 years because habits will change and we have a lot of things. So yeah, it depends. I think it's the biggest stuff. Yes. But we are welcoming everyone. It's just, yeah, it might seem a little bit messy from the outside. So I would definitely say go find a mentor, ask some questions to people. Most people are more happy uh, happy to just answer a few questions and yeah. see if it's really what you want to do once you know what actually the job looks like. Yep. Yep. That That is something that I wish more people would do as well. And you got to watch a lot of people who advertise themselves as mentors are not, which just adds complexity <laughs> to all of this. I think that's the thing. I never, um, I never uh, advertised myself as a mentor. And I, yeah. I, I, when I was talking to people, I was, what I was doing, it's like, oh, actually you're doing mentoring. It's like, am I? It's like, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> giving yep. people advice in one-on-one session about career is mentors are, oh, okay. So I guess I'm, <laughs> I'm really bad at branding, naming. I'm good yeah. at uh, visual, like the yellow and purple uh, identity is cool, but uh, <laughs> otherwise, yeah. Yeah, I think it's on that note. I, I, think, what I've known. I think it's interesting that a lot of us just want to help. And, yeah. and, and so we do. And we don't advertise ourselves as mentors, but we engage in the act of mentoring. The people who advertise themselves as mentors <laughs> usually tend to be the most dangerous folks, especially when you go, and I'm going to say this too, if, if for those of you, because yeah, you got to have a mentor, you got to connect, you need to interact with the community at large. But before you decide to jump on somebody's bandwagon, go and look them up, please. And, and don't look at what they're advertising mm-hmm. Because people advertise themselves as something all the time. Don't don't look at what they're advertising. Go look at their experience. Where have they worked? What have they actually been doing? Look at what the, the look at the the proof that's in the pudding, and don't look at what's on the pudding yeah. box. If you get my drift. But even then, like people rewrite job descriptions. Like the guy they who do. replaced me and my previous client is head of UX. I'm like, come on. I was lead designer because I was leading a team of three design now two designers we i was already kind of weird to put lead but yeah. i was actually doing the job of it it's like you're not head of ux as well. it's two designers it's like, right you're yeah. not head of it so me it makes yeah. me laugh like inflation in job titles is <laughs> yeah yeah it <laughs> always is. funny i've but- seen someone who put web designer today like she used to have a ux designer ux researcher and her last one is web designer again and i really want to ask her why because i'm (laughs) curious about this decision everyone goes the other way around everyone used to have web designer and noah has ux and she went from ux design so yeah i have to reach out to her because it might be weird like i'm not asking I, I don't know you. I'm just super curious about why did you put web designer in your LinkedIn profile? Yeah, yeah might be weird. Yeah, <laughs> well, good points. Good points. But thank you, Stephanie Walter. 
Thanks. Thank you for joining me on today. Great, insightful stuff. The type of stuff people need to hear. That's it. There's a lot of perspectives, great perspectives, a lot of things that people can listen to to help to shape who we are and to help uh, with our trajectory in UX, to help to optimize the direction that we're going. So thank you again, Stephanie, for joining us on today. Thanks a lot. This is the host of The World of UX, Darren Hood. Happy UXing, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.